What's up, y'all? Welcome to class. This is Diseducation. My name is Mignon. I'm a Black non-binary teacher. And I'm a Vietnamese-American teacher named Quinn. Together, we are looking at what it's really like inside U.S. classrooms and schools through our eyes as teachers of color. In other words, what's happening behind closed classroom doors? Because the reality is that U.S. education is burning, and students and teachers of color are the ones on fire. This is Diseducation. This season on Diseducation, we're tracking how teachers of color are so often branded as the problem and chased out of the profession. Last class, we traced the reality stage where we realized how racist the curriculum we were forced to teach really was. We began to explore the reactions from coworkers as we tried to make the curriculum more equitable. This episode, we'll discuss further how, when we prioritized equity, we faced extreme and swift reprisal from coworkers. While we are largely focusing on our own experience, we know that what we went through happens to teachers of color across the country. And this episode, and so much of this season, is about real situations we've experienced, but our goal is to use our experience to illuminate system-wide issues and prompt us to think and work toward change across the education system. This is intended to be educational. It's intended to prompt robust policy debates. It's not intended to identify any particular individuals because what we care about, what we are focusing on, is helping students by changing the system and ensuring that teachers of color can remain in the classroom and that all students can be served. And with that focus in mind, we are so thrilled to have with us today an incredible educator and our former co-worker, Amber. Welcome. Hey. (laughs) Amber taught with us on the project that we discussed last time. From here on out, we'll all be referring to this required ninth grade curriculum as the project with a capital P. (laughs) She had been at the school far longer than we had, so has a lot more institutional knowledge than either of us. Welcome, Amber. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I've been in public education for about a decade. While we taught together, I worked in the special education department. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was a case manager and a teacher, and I provided supports and services to students with disabilities receiving services through IEPs. And I refer to my department as supports and services. Mm -hmm. That's really important. It's really, you know, vital for Mignon and I to have Amber on this podcast and on this show uh, because Amber was on this project with us. Amber was there with us. Yeah, the entire Mm -hmm. time we were at the same school. And so she's really witnessed everything that, you know, you and I have been through, Mignon. Mm -hmm. And not only that, as a person, right, uh, who works, right, um, with students, right, with disabilities, working with, uh, you know, supports, services, and IEPs, she has such a critical perspective because she's really, you know, able to see uh, into so many different departments. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what's so special about my department. My role is to go into classrooms and observe my students interacting in different school settings. Mm -hmm. So my department has a window into a lot of what's happening across the school. That's so, like, just... It's just so incredibly different from mm-hmm. you and I, Mignon. Yeah, Jenna, teachers can often be so siloed. I'm also particularly happy that you're here uh, because you can share some of your reflections on how you saw race moving in our school and in schools in general. 
Yeah, I know one of the reasons I'm here, honestly, as a white woman, is for credibility. And it's not fair that my presence is necessary to validate the experiences of two teachers of color. Real. Thanks Mm -hmm. for acknowledging that. Especially because both of you were so intentional with your content and instruction. I saw how students felt so validated and important through participation in your classes. Mm. And I'm a white teacher, and most teachers are white women. We make up the majority of the workforce, which also means that we are causing the majority of the harm in these institutions. Last class, we talked about some of the issues emerging on this Capital P project, and in particular, we went over two of these major grading criteria issues we were having. And for us, that was professionalism and effectiveness of speaker. And as Quinn and I, we started grappling with these two grading criteria, the cracks on this project really began to show. Mm-hmm. So we received an email from one of our coworkers on this Capital P project about this professionalism criteria. <laughs> And Quinn and I, we'd gotten it removed last year, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We'd lobbied for it off. And this coworker was wondering, hey, are we keeping professionalism off or are we going to bring it back and grade students on Mm -hmm. it? And when I saw that email, I knew we had an opportunity. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. So I walked down to Quinn's room and I said, hey, Quinn, you want to have a fight? And I knew right away you were talking about that email that we received about professionalism concerning project with a capital P. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I just laughed. <laughs> I said, yeah, let's do it. But partially because it was just was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And also because I didn't think it'd be that big of a deal. I thought, sure, there'd maybe be a little bit of defensiveness, but eventually, you know, they come around, see your way. I mean, it's the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I thought you were being, you know, dramatic, joking around for fun. But looking back, every single time you have predicted the moves of these white people, You have been right. It's that local knowledge. (laughs) It really speaks to you having to navigate the world as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I responded to the email. um, And before I talk through these emails, I do want to note that, Amber, you were a part of this team. Mm -hmm. um, But the entire project team, Quinn and I included, did, mm-hmm. frankly, a really shit job of <laughs> yeah. including you and including supports and services. We, we own that. We're not perfect. Absolutely. And so my mentor had kind of talked to me about, you know, how to better be inclusive. And so I was thinking more about that. And so I added you in to this email chain. Mm-hmm. So back to the actual emails. Um, it went back and forth a little bit, but essentially I responded asking questions and letting the team know, hey, I'm having some questions and some qualms about grading professionalism or grading effectiveness of speaker because of bias. Mm-hmm. And I ended up sending a follow-up email saying, you know, that while professionalism and effectiveness of speaker is important to teach, they're ultimately inequitable to grade. Mm. And before we get into deep, can we talk about what professionalism and effectiveness of speaker really mean? I mean, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I think of professionalism, I mean, professionalism is so complicated. You could create an entire podcast around just dissecting mm. it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think for these teachers, their understanding was really, let's have these kids dress up in suits. Literally like, business casual. We're not joking. We dug in. We saw some of the slideshows about professionalism. Some it, of the so, one. The, okay. One slideshow, 
two two slides of just random collage of people in suits, like not even not even like neat or orderly photos, just like collage. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And why do the words of someone in a suit matter more than someone not wearing a suit? Yes, yes. I'm so glad you're asking that and getting there, Amber. In many ways, grading students on professionalism is really grading students on their proximity to whiteness. The lesson students learn is that the price you pay for advancement is abandoning your culture. What a fucking lesson for students to learn in ninth grade. Yeah. Similarly, the effectiveness of speaker grading criteria, it was all about eye contact, volume of speech, enunciation, body language, that kind of stuff. And we have students with disabilities who struggle with those socially constructed notions of standard communication. There were no supports or accommodations considered when creating these criteria. But this isn't new. My department has been talking about how inaccessible this project has been for years. For real? I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Wow. And that students with disabilities didn't get to participate fully because they weren't being considered. Damn. So for some context... This email thread that we're talking about included all members of the team for the capital P project. So that was the ninth grade English language arts teachers, the ninth grade social studies teachers who taught that uh, course Society and Me, Sam, that we introduced last episode, uh, the librarian, and also you, Amber. Um, And as a reminder, Quinn and I. Only teachers of color on this team. Only people of color on this team. It's like, two is the loneliest number. (laughs) (laughs) JK. But essentially, you can boil it down to seem like the language arts teachers were all on the same page about professionalism and effectiveness of speaker. And me. Yes, and Amber. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the Sam teachers and librarian were like, hell nah. Yeah. And it was so interesting because one of those team members who was not down uh started cherry picking your emails quinn and oh it was yeah so strange to witness the email where i was like yes we got to teach no grading you mean exactly. that exactly yeah and blew past the no grading and said yeah just like quinn said we need to teach this and grade it just look at katanji brown jackson and <laughs> <Prince laughs> kbj and not to mention kbj has herself talked about how she's had to mask herself in order to appeal to the white masses. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But instead, she was brought up as an example of what students of color should aspire to do or be. Yeah. And then, like a bomb, the crazy-ass email arrived. The email with a capital E. Oh, this email. It was so long. Words were underlined, bolded, caps locked. <laughs> you're, really, you're really capturing. <laughs> it really read like it came from someone who was feeling very defensive, personally attacked, all because she felt personally attached to this project. Yeah, I mean, the first year that Quinn and I, we joined the project I feel like folks on this team talked a really big game about how it was this culturally sustaining project and how they'd made all these major changes a decade ago. Um, But it was only recently, actually, that we found out they were having students debate whether or not Confederate statutes and, and flags should be removed just two years before we joined. So 
even though I'm on the humanities team, look, the math ain't math. <laughs> <laughs> um, and essentially, right, the emails seem to really boil down to two things. Spectacle and or optics and, on the other side, seniority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it came to optics, this coworker really emphasized how special, how exciting, what a rite of passage this project with a capital P was for the entire school and community. She kept using the word rigor, but when you actually read the email, every time she said rigor, her examples of said rigor was really just spectacle and optics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember that line, oral is fundamental. And then repeated, oral is fundamental. Wait, repeated twice? In the email. Oh, like <laughs> actual re- repetition in the email. That's what I remember. Oh. Uh-huh. And, you know, talking about that the Q&A portion of the project was fundamental. Um, you know, that I agree with. But mm-hmm. that was also Me their too. responsibility to teach in the SAM class. Uh, and the worst fucking part, no materials to teach it. Not one document, y'all. Students were coming to us in a panic saying, you know, we're not getting the lessons we were told we would get. And Sam, uh, we're not being taught right about body language, about Q&A, about how to anticipate questions. They were freaking out. Um, Right. The final for this project with the capital P was a big presentation day. Community members would be there, parents. I think historically there have been like state senators. School board members. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of folks. Kids are freaking out. And so, Mignon, you and I, after school one day, from 4 p.m. until midnight straight, and we had to teach the next day, we created a bunch of slides, graphic organizers, other materials to support Q&A, and effectiveness of speaker. Because the truth is, we did want our students to be successful. And we we were the ones who taught all that stuff, too, in our English classes. We made time for it, in addition to revising the speech and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, But we just knew, right, that grading them on it would be inequitable. And, you know, remember, we talked about this inequitable burden teachers of color face. We talked about that a few episodes ago. Here it is again, right, that we are feeling the need to do this work because it's what students need. And that was the pattern for this project. Y'all as the English department were the ones creating the bulk of the prep, lessons, and materials, and generally doing most of the work. But in these emails, we were seeing such passion, emotion, and resistance from these same teachers. Yeah, it seemed like a really intense response. It it makes one think, was the problem really the curriculum or was it us? The other big sticking point in this email was this idea of seniority that you already previewed, Quinn. You know, it it felt to me like a message to just know your place, right? Do what we tell you to do because only we can control this project, right? That was the energy. Um, But I want to be clear. These people were not our supervisors, (laughs) like Mm -mm. at all. Okay, not even close. You know, for non-educators, even a department head, right, is really just like a facilitator of conversations and kind of representative, right? Not a supervisor. The supervisors are vice principals and principals. That's it. So mm-hmm. these people on the team who were telling us, you can't make decisions, were actually just our equal colleagues. And that year, both of you were the project leads. 
but they treated the two of you like you were brand new to this project. The way I forgot, we were actually legit the team leads. Like, we got paid. We got stipends and everything. I feel like you forget that every time because you're so traumatized by this project. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and, and when you think about it, we were hired as teachers of color to bring our unique perspectives and expertise to the school. They literally told me that when I was hired. And yet, when what we offered challenged the status quo, we were told that our input was no longer welcome or wanted anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to know that the two of you were always professional and student-centered in all of your communication, Mm -hmm. even when coworkers were being rude back. Also, I think it's important to mention that the three newest members of this project we're not getting this kind of backlash. And they were all white. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the piece. I mean, I remember one of the last lines of this email that we're discussing, and it said that this coworker wanted the project to only develop in, quote, positive ways, uh, essentially not what we were doing by asking about these grading criteria. Mm-hmm. So, like... More equity for students isn't positive. Okay. Yeah. So it was clear at that point that the conversation was stalled. So I just let folks know that I wasn't going to grade my students on professionalism and effectiveness as speaker. And I think it's important here to clarify that in the school district we all taught at, this was allowed. And I wasn't trying to control what other folks did with their grade books or their students. I was just making clear what I was doing and telling folks why. In particular, because... I wanted to make sure that when we got the judging scores back, that I'd be able to disaggregate the data. Mm -hmm. That was it. In other words, you were collaborating. So I guess it's worth asking ourselves, why are we even talking about this email? Okay, (laughs) let's be real, though. Like, anyone who's ever worked, period, ever before knows that all the shit goes down in email, okay? (laughs) And I think this email in particular was important because while there had been underlying tension between equity and the status quo before... This email seemed to really escalate things on this team. And, you know, we just want to make clear once again, none of us were saying to not teach professionalism or effectiveness as a speaker. We were just saying don't grade it because it's inequitable. And in this email, as with basically everything, uh, the only time that we were, you know, making any kind of fuss was about students. We were saying, hey, we're seeing the way that this can negatively impact students. Mm-hmm. Um And we just want to kind of raise a flag about that. Meanwhile, the entire time we had been experiencing all kinds of racist shit on this team, Mm -hmm. like for two full years. Mm -hmm. And honestly, when I look back, in some ways, I feel like this actually ended up having somewhat of severe consequences for us. Because by prioritizing our students, putting them first always, and therefore trying to collaborate with other people and be that, quote, right, professional that they keep, you know, this term that they keep throwing around, it really left us exposed and vulnerable. When I think about that vulnerability, I'm also reminded of the way that I saw anti-Asian racism kind of wielded against you, Quinn. And I think this is the first time that I was able to really clock it kind of up close. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was the way that people on this team would just twist your words to suit their own agenda. And I know that can happen to many kinds of people, but there seemed to be this underlying assumption that you would just be submissive and let people take 
a very clear statement by you in person or over email. Like passive when and, you speak up. And transform it into something totally different and that you would be fine with that. Yeah. To be honest, I'm like really glad, like, I mean, I think it's important for listeners to know, like, while I have had in other positions, but particularly this one, I sometimes felt like, oh, like, I feel like I'm being stereotyped or I feel like I'm being forced into this category of, you know, a passive, of being someone who wouldn't speak up. Um, it was really helpful for me for the first time to work with someone who named it without me saying, hey, is this happening? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even have to say that. You said, hey, I see this happening. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, my God. Like, I felt like I was doubting myself, almost like I was being gaslit for so long. Like, am I crazy that this is happening to me in workplaces, you, you know, in a professional setting? <laughs> and the other thing, too, is like, I remember the entire year, like, not only... You know, you see this stark example in the email. So many other examples have been happening for two years. And that entire time, they really thought it was, like, some kind of, like, toady. Like, you were, like, mm-hmm. ringleader mignon. I was your little toady, <laughs> right? Just out there by your, your little sidekick. Mm-hmm. And this was really the first time, mignon, in this email chain that you communicated that you were going to kind of do your own thing. Yeah, because most of my communication was always mm-hmm. just asking questions. Yeah. And in, in some ways, kind of like this, this other side of the coin compared to me, immediately, Mignon, you were being positioned as some kind of, right, like, quote unquote, like disruptor, even though all the English teachers, including the other two white teachers, expressed the very same. So you were the toady and I was the big bad wolf. <laughs> and that's exactly how the Sam teachers stereotyped the both of you. So within a day or two of this email chain, I started to face some overt retaliation. I went down to the library for something unrelated, and one of the members of this team um, kind of accosted me in the library um, and asked to speak with me. And I said, of course, right, we're on the same team. Sure. What do you want to talk about? And this team member proceeded to ask me to sit down in the library. There are students milling around. And began to tell me how upset my emails had made her Mm. and how offended that she was and how I had called that by asking questions about the project and that by naming, hey, you know, I think these criteria are opening up us up for some bias and greeting that I had called her racist and other members of the team racist And she was going on and on and on. And she kept describing my emails as strong and forceful. And then she'd pause and kind of cast around for another word. And she'd say strong and forceful again. She must have said it three or four times. And I was sitting there listening to her stereotype me. And I'm looking around me, and there are students watching. Mm. My students watching. And I had this moment. So this happened about a couple days after my grandfather died. Um, My last living grandparent at the time, my Nana, was in the hospital on her deathbed. 
And I started thinking about my elders, the people in my life who had worked their entire lives to build something for their families and who had worked their entire lives to support and better our community. And I felt myself, I think for the first time, decide that I wasn't doing this anymore. And I had this moment where I just said to myself, I cannot continue to be degraded. Mm. That, that my dignity is worth something, that the dignity that my people have worked and fought for means something. And, and there's something to, my people have paid enough. Mm-hmm. And in that same moment, I was looking around and seeing my students mm. watch this happen, hear this happen. I saw my black students see this white woman talk to me crazy and disrespect me. And I just, I had to think about what do I what lesson am I showing them? Is this what they learned that it doesn't matter who you are or what you become, that your dignity will always be ignored by these people? And I, I mean, for the first time at this school, I just couldn't. And so I didn't, I told her that, hey, this, what you're saying to me right now, this whole long lecture you're giving me is actually a really great example of how racial prejudice and bias can impact the way that we perceive other people. Mm. Um, and, I mean, she was so offended by that. Um, but I was really shaken. I mean, mm-hmm. really shaken by that moment. And I went out to my car and I cried and then I went and I I think I told you Amber Mm. uh, and I told you Quinn and I but before I told either of you I sat in the lobby of that school and I wrote an email to her outlining what she'd said to me and what I had said to her and how again this is an example of how y'all's racial bias is impacting things you were protecting yourself. I had to at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that team member who accosted you tried to get me to join her side of this thing. And I was like, uh, I, I mean, I saw what was going on. I mean, I was on this email chain and she came into my classroom and she tried to tell me, this narrative of what happened and basically it came down to her accusing you of being aggressive and making her feel small and centering herself in all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting too, because 
you know, once again, positioning me as aggressive, I was watching students watch us have this interaction. Mm. I was humiliated. And I was also thinking about how do I show these few Black students at this school who are watching this moment, how do I show them that you can stand up for yourself, that you can preserve your dignity and still be true to who you are, that you don't let these people pull you outside of who you are, outside of your character. And so I was really careful with how I worded things, with my tone. I remember thinking that I needed to hold my body very still because mm. I knew if I gestured or things like that, that it would be taken you know, as, as aggressive. You know, it makes me think of this uh, Beyonce lyric, right? Them caverns turned into... <laughs> I won't finish the line. But, but there is something there of the way that they'll position me as a problem. Mm. When I'm the one literally being stereotyped, yeah, being discriminated against. Yeah, classic white woman card, uno reverse. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, when I'm hearing you tell this story, I've heard it, you know, once before, but this is the first time I've heard how you were still prioritizing your students, right? Mm. Thinking about them and having them in mind, even as you're having to go through this real time in that moment, having having to be degraded like that mm-hmm. by a coworker. You know, after this incident, that coworker was running scared. And I know that because of what you told me, Gwen. Oh, oh, wait. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if it was like that day, day after. It was pretty soon right after. I was rushing home after work. Bell rung. I was I was out. And I was like, I'm not staying here any longer. Healthy boundaries. <laughs> I grabbed my backpack. I was running down the stairs because I work on the second floor. And then I remember as I was at the end of the stairwell, I saw, you know, the coworker who accosted you in the library. I saw her talking to our school principal. And I overheard the last line where he told her, my advice is don't respond to the email. And the part that weirded me out is that the minute they saw me, their body stiffened, they stopped talking. Mm-hmm. It was really obvious they did not want me to overhear what they had just said. And I thought to myself, I mean, there can't be that many emails this human being is receiving that she is going to the principal about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had, I only had theories, but I ended up bringing it up to you and saying, Hey, you know, like I saw something just FYI. Mm-hmm. But then later, you know, I think if, if I remember correctly, Mignon, you ended up asking the principal point blank when meeting with him, if right, she had talked to him about that email. Yeah. Cause he was trying to act like he hadn't heard about anything that was going on, but I'd already known based on what you saw that they had, just talked, yeah. right? And so I asked him point blank, and he said, yeah. Yeah, he had no choice, right? And what all of this shows is that instead of protecting teachers of color, instead of protecting me from being racially stereotyped and harassed, it felt like the priority was protecting white teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that, you know, all three of us clarify that we're not trying to be salacious. We're not trying... Right. Or, or our goal of sharing these details isn't, you know, to create gossip and tea. It's really to, to show people what it really looks like, what it really feels like to be a teacher of color in the United States. Teachers of color across this country are experiencing this at school sites every day. 
So we've been talking tension. Let's ratchet it up a notch. What do you say? Ethnic studies. Ethnic studies. Oh, my God. Okay, so some context for those that don't know. In the state of California, where we were all teaching, uh, a bill had been passed that was requiring, mandating uh, ethnic studies to be taught at just about every high school in in California, as long as the school was large enough. Trust us, this is connected. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And being the, you know, some of the only teachers of color at the school, we were basically coerced into being on the task force. Inequitable workload. (laughs) And by the way, not paid, unlike many of the other committees. I was on some of those other paid committees. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of it's irrelevant. The thing that connects back is that I think the biggest concern about this task force for many of the teachers was it would cut electives, therefore, you know, affecting their jobs, their professions, maybe their livelihood. And in particular, um, some of these classes where you had teachers concerned about how it would impact them um, were the same teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the reasons the Sam folks were trembling could have been because they knew they were selling themselves as a kind of watered-down ethnic studies. Oh, okay, wait. To clarify, I don't know if they saw themselves as necessarily teaching a watered-down version. Yeah, I mean, they're right. It wasn't watered-down, uh, although it was actual bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was non-existent, uh, or it was fully fucked up. I mean, African as an ethnicity. <laughs> like, like, yes, let's, like, in this entire continent. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not going to get into the to the curriculum. but But suffice it to say, not doing actual ethnic studies. No nuance. And additionally, right, there seemed to be someone on the task force that was scapegoating us, mm-hmm. that was spreading rumors that we were the reason certain classes were being put on the chopping block, when the reality was that we were doing our best to advocate for SAM, for world languages, for fine arts, for all these electives and more. You know, we might have our qualms about that SAM course, but we also understood really deeply how important it was for kids to have a ninth grade class that focused mm-hmm. in some way on identity work and importantly on mental health, mm-hmm. that we know how valuable that is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a former ESL student and later teacher who has lived and taught abroad and right, a classical pianist, percussionist, timpanist, I felt like I more than anyone um, was really busting my butt off trying to protect these electives because you were, you were. because my personal background made me really understand like how important these opportunities are for students. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, you know, I really wanted a robust ethnic studies program, but I still wanted them to have the access and the opportunity to explore all these things. I felt like it would be so enriching for students. So Mignon, you and I really put in, right, like time, energy, we did real research to try to creatively problem solve how to do all this, how to Quinn keep was everyone happy. Up with these amazing solutions that would retain everything that people wanted. And it just makes me so sad that ultimately we were still scapegoated, right? Like in the community like this, where so many of the parents are so concerned about whether the kid gets in the right college or the, take the right AP classes to get into those right colleges. Um, a lot of people see ethnic studies as a contentious thing. They're really concerned about it. And because the school knew it was so contentious, I felt like they used us, these like token teachers of color, as the body, as the face to take the brunt of all of this anxiety the community was feeling. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that we had no power. I, 
actually have the power. Okay. I, <laughs> the way I, we forget sometimes the roles we had. I was on the committee that would be the decision-making body mm. to move forward with these plans. Um, and yet materials being sent out to the community about ethnic studies had both of y'all's name on it. Mm. While mm-hmm. me as being a part of the decision-making mm-hmm. body, body, none of us had our names tied to this at all. Tell you. Wow. With the face. With the bodies. And as time went on, I, I can't speak for I can't speak for you two, but um I can say that for me, I began to suspect that maybe unsaid tensions about ethnic studies was beginning to really impact my working relationship with the SAM teachers. Which is important because we share students. We're working on this big curriculum for like three, four months together and having to spend the other months planning for it. And I felt like, you know, especially at the end of fall, beginning of winter, my second year, I felt I was beginning to get the cold shoulder from some of them, just more turned away body language, curt conversations, and just less availability to talk about our students than I was getting before. I began to wonder if maybe these teachers had started, you know, to believe after hearing these untrue rumors spreading about me, Mignon, and the fact that, you know, maybe we were putting Sam on the chopping block under the Ethnic Studies Task Force. Which wasn't true. No, wholly untrue. And at the next department meeting where some of the SAM teachers were present, I actually openly addressed and tried to shut down these rumors. I felt it was important just to clear the air in case there was anything, right, to make sure people knew the truth. I wonder if part of the reason that they were able to hear you too is because I had to miss that meeting. I thought that as well, to be Mm. completely honest. Mm -hmm. But afterwards... Relationships seemed to warm up again, albeit temporarily, right until that crazy email chain we just talked about uh, occurred. But to me, that icing and warming again of relationships seemed to really confirm to me that ethnic studies was indeed a factor um, in our relationship with these SAM teachers. And this kind of gossip and scapegoating of teachers of color, it can be devastating. It makes it really hard for us to be able to do our actual fucking job, which is to support students. In the ensuing weeks before the big presentation for the project with a capital P, multiple things went down. The coworker who had accosted me in the library refused to bring me any more materials for the Capital P project, mm-hmm. which was sent part me. of her job. Yeah, she sent me as your go-between, like I was some kind of little owl. Mm-hmm. Also, she was talking shit about me to students, including to black students. Which and why? <laughs> it is both funny and so deeply infuriating mm. because she put me in the position of having to defend her to mm. these students. Because so, you were trying to keep it right, quote, the professional. Yes. That we've been talking about professionalism, yeah. Yes. So she had been saying things to my students, um, and I think, if I had to guess, that she didn't know they were my students because they were in advanced classes. Um, and Which, I taught and I taught regular mm. English, right? Um, what a the, line of thinking. But those are my kids, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... And some of these kids called her racist to her face. Yeah. And they came and told me, proud of themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's important to note, like, 
you're also the advisor for Black Student Union. Like, even if you don't have some of these kids in your classes, like, you know a lot of these students. Also, I was the only African-American gen ed teacher in the school building. So, mm-hmm. you know, they be in my room. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this was actually a student that I taught. And the student came to me to tell me what happened. And I had to tell the student and their friends, hey, I'm hearing your frustration, you know, I'm hearing that you don't like the way that this person was talking about me, but what would be a way that you could communicate your frustration in a way that's respectful? Counseling these students on how to have conversations with people. Which, quite frankly, is wild that you are having to do that. Like, why am I in the position of protecting this woman? Mm -hmm. And due to what felt like escalation on the email thread, Mignon, you and I finally told our department head and school principal what was going on. And in my meeting with the principal, he acted like he did not know anything, like he hadn't heard anything. Mm -hmm. He acted like he didn't know what had been going on the team, none of that. So I asked him, has anyone from the team showed you the emails? And then he had to say yes. And so I asked him which emails, so he described them. So then I showed him the whole email chain. And then I asked him what had people said? And then all of a sudden it comes out that he'd been hearing complaints for months. Can I be honest? Sorry, I'm like a little... When I was young, I was obsessed with this one game on Nintendo DS called Phoenix Ace Attorney. Mm-hmm. You just basically cross-examined your boss. And I find that hilarious. <laughs> like, I've been around lawyers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, no, I mean, I literally did. And I knew the answers to all these questions, right? My spidey sense uh, and just logic was telling me. But... He then acted like he didn't know what tone policing was. Like, he didn't know stereotypes about aggressive black women. It seemed like what it really felt like to me was that he did not want me to say the word race and that he was really uncomfortable with that and that, you know, there was all this kind of maneuvering and attempts to obfuscate to Mm -hmm. avoid any kind of culpability or really just, like, responsibility to act. Yeah, that's so interesting because with me, it was kind of, you know, a similar gig, I feel. He also acted like he didn't know anything. like Which is bullshit because he had already talked to me before he talked to you. Yeah, and it was just like, you know, he was basically saying things along the lines of, oh, this is my first time hearing anything's happening with this project with the capital P and the team. Like, tell me more. And I That's was like, a big fat really? lie. He literally talked to me first and then said, oh, can you tell Quinn yeah. I want to talk to her? And, you know, something else I think is interesting, too, is you just talked about how in your meeting, and we've never talked about this, actually, until I just thought of it right now. You said that it felt like he didn't want you to bring up the word race. Mm -hmm. And I felt the exact same thing Mm -hmm. in my meeting. I felt like, oh, like he is, I can't explain it. It was like he was doing everything he could to make me feel like I wasn't safe to say it. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't feel safe to say it, I didn't. And now looking back, I'm like, well, truth, now there's there's no record of any meeting with someone where I'm actually naming specifically the harm that I think I'm experiencing at the work at the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this idea that he didn't know anything doesn't track with what I saw either. Um, y'all know my classroom is right where all admin offices are. Mm-hmm. So I would see those same teachers going in and out of that principal's office all year long. When I came to our meeting with a department head, I remember telling her that the only way for me to sustainably stay at this school and continue to teach the next year and the year after 
was to remove the project with a capital P from the curriculum. And, you know, I, it, how do I say this? Like, it's not that I'm incapable or I don't want to collaborate with people, but it was getting to a point where I was feeling like I was being harmed, that I wasn't safe. When we were facing these issues, we literally told our department head, like, hey, here are potential solutions. Here's how the project could look. Here's who would be involved. Here's what it would look like mm -hmm. for students. That would have protected us from the racism that we were experiencing and would have solved those ableism issues and racism issues in the project for students. And just like ethnic studies, nobody was interested in creative alternatives. You know, when we say remove the project, we don't even mean that we're not going to do something research-oriented or presentation-oriented in English. We're just saying, hey, can we do it a different way? In a way that preserves us as teachers and is actually serving students. And I also felt like because I was the person receiving all this harm, it didn't feel fair to me to have to switch grade levels, to have to create all these new materials and, and resources when I was finally just being able to reuse some of my work and build on that. Um, and, you know, I felt like, why should I have to be the one to, to completely have to reinvent my entire work in order to stay in this institution? And I think one of the things that we both were reiterating when we met separately with our department head was that, hey, this collaboration thing is not working. We can't even get our team members to collaborate with us to deal with what's happening with the kids, Yeah, which is the literal job. And like I told her, hey, it is unsafe to keep me on a team that's being this racist towards me and students. And ultimately, right, it seemed like department had agreed with us. Gave, giving us permission to remove this project, um, even said that the principal was backing us up, but it couldn't come from them. It had to be us who voiced and put in action, right, basically the removal of this project from the curriculum. You know, once again, making us the scapegoats. You know, in a previous episode, I mentioned how I found documents with the N-word and these really fucked up activities on them in our shared English drive. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, told the department head about it. She said, oh, yeah, we should definitely have this conversation. This is so important, but you got to do it. Mm -hmm. You bring it up. Abdicating responsibility. So now it's a pattern. At the next team meeting for the project with a capital P, our department had actually ended up attending this meeting with everyone else on the team. And FYI, she was there not because we asked her, but actually because the SAM teachers asked her to be there. And this is a reminder that this is the meeting after the crazy-ass email chain went down. This is the meeting after what happened to Mignon in the library. And this is the meeting after we both individually talked to our department heads and the school principal. Also, this was also while you and I were fucking teaching all of the shit that they claimed they wanted to keep. Oh my we God. We created the materials. We shared the materials with the entire team. We taught the lessons, right? We're always going to teach it. We did so uh, much. But we were the only ones doing all the work. And because we didn't want to grade it, we were being faced with retaliation. Mm -hmm. That's how we were walking into this meeting. The English department head ran the meeting almost as if she didn't want to leave any room for anything else to be said or done. Which is interesting, because remember what she said we could do? Talk about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe even remove it. And none of the harm that happened explicitly to Mignon was addressed. Yeah, I remember that. That made me furious. Mm. It, it honestly flipped a switch in me for mm. some reason, because... 
I mean, you know, I remember you coming to me that day, talking to me about it. I, I was there to see what, what a devastating and like, it just, how it indignified you and how it really degraded and, and, and brought you down. And so to have it go unaddressed like that, I just couldn't believe it. Um, after, right, we've talked to admin, after we talked to a department head about it. And I was thinking to myself, like, oh my gosh, one, I can't believe they're doing this to my friend and my colleague. That fucking blows. But two, if they're willing to treat you that way and then just brush it under the rug, pretend it never happened, they're going to do that to me. They're yeah. going to continue to let this stuff happen to me. And there's a really large chance the department head, the school admin, they are going to do nothing to protect me. It changed something in me, that meeting. I ended up going on a trip right after that. So like this meeting was the last meeting that this project with the capital P was having before our big presentation. Spring break was in the middle. I remember I went on a trip because I fucking had to get out of there. I <laughs> needed to clear my head. Um, and I remember being at an art gallery where I saw this beautiful abstract painting, this beautiful sun. And when I looked at the title, it said New Beginnings. And somehow it just clicked for me. I went, you know what? This is sudden, but not sudden. I don't think I'm going to come back next year. Mm. I'm not going to return. Yeah. After they did nothing in that meeting in the library, I knew I was leaving. I knew it. I couldn't stay. It's like you said. I wasn't safe. You weren't safe. And it was so clear that we were actively being prevented from serving the students that we cared about. Mm. I was done. When teachers of color are assertive and make decisions that support their students, they are increasingly castigated. And the backlash they receive can often be unique to how they're racialized. I felt stereotyped as aggressive and manipulative when all I was doing was being transparent about my concerns and my priorities with the team. And I felt like the more I subverted people's expectations of what a conflict avoidant and quote, diplomatic Asian American should act like, the more severe the penalization I received. And watching what happened to you two made it really clear that teachers and students of color were not safe at this school. And if you thought that this is as bad as it could get, wait until you hear next episode. Thank you, Amber, for being here and mm -hmm. everyone else. See you next class. <laughs> <laughs>